Good morning and welcome to Inside Maine where we're going to be talking about a federal program that actually works, that's making a difference in Maine and how it can be expanded nationwide. It's called the Investing in Manufacturing Communities Partnership, better known as uh, Manufacturing Communities, and it was a special grant program of the federal government, and the Greater Portland Council of Governments was one of the successful applicants for this designation, and we have with us this morning Christina Egan, who is the head of the uh, Greater Portland Council of Governments. Christina, tell us about this program and how it's working for Portland area. Sure. Well, as you know, Senator, the manufacturing overall in Maine has really been on the decline, but the bright spot has been in food manufacturing. So back in 2014, the Greater Portland Council of Governments, with 17 other wonderful partners from the area, decided to apply to the Department of Commerce to get a designation as a manufacturing community. We received that designation, and since then we've been able to bring in millions of dollars to the region. And, and by the way, we were one of the few in the country, right? What, what was? That's right. That's right. There were only 12 that were named in 2014, and then in 2016 there were another 12 that were added. We were part of the original 12. Well, tell me how it works and how it's, how it's, what it's generated. Sure. So for us in Greater Portland and the Lakes region, our goal is to double the number of food manufacturing jobs in 10 years. And um, we've been working with USM and the Southern Maine Community College, Port Authority, Sustainable Agriculture Society, the Maine International Trade Center, lots of partners where we've come together to try to think of what are the big priorities, what are the things that will really move the needle to increase the number of companies that are growing and making food products. And, and, there, and is a uh, there is a strategy. There's, there's workforce, networks, research. All the, there, there's, a, there's a sort of a roadmap. That's right. We developed a roadmap and actually a dashboard to start tracking our progress. And what we've seen is since 2014, when we got the designation, food manufacturing jobs have actually grown 7%, which is really the only bright spot in manufacturing recovery in Maine. Now, what do you mean when you say food manufacturing? I have this idea of a guy in a factory fabricating a <laughs> banana. I mean, that's not exactly well, what we're doing. Well, I think a lot of people are probably familiar with the craft brewing story here in Maine, where the rumor actually is that we have more brewers per capita than any place else in the nation, with the possible exception of San Francisco. So yeah. we've just been blooming our brewery. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I foresee a day when every person in Maine will have their own brewery. I, mean, we, we, I, think, I think we're over 90 now. Uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And, and there are well over 1,000 people employed in that, in that industry. Yeah, that's right. But there's also the folks who've been working in their kitchens or their barns and their basements, and they have a product that they want to scale up. So, for example, um, Casco Bay Butter was started by two women, Alicia Menard and Janelle Carter. And they were making butter, and then they decided to add different kinds of flavorings, really innovative, interesting flavorings, and they were selling them in a farmer's market. And um, we, through Greater Portland Council of Governments and the food cluster, we helped them uh, move to the next level. And they now have a production space in Scarborough. And, um, and so that's just an example of people that have, been, have a great idea, and they've been thinking about it for a while, and then they want to launch a business. Well, I was I toured a, a building in Portland with a, it was like an incubator. There were a whole bunch of small three or four people making, as you say, things like butter or whoopie pies or all kinds of things, and that that was uh, that was really cool. And and basically, it's the next step out of the kitchen is what it boils down to. 
That's right. And the, the place that you're mentioning is Fork Food Lab. And the um, manufacturing community partners came together and identified two big catalyst projects that they thought, again, would move the needle. Fork Food Lab was one of them. So in nine months since we got that designation, we were able to get full funding for that food lab. And it's now a commercial kitchen that is incubating 30 different businesses right now. Wow. Wow. And, and of course, you, when you think about this and people say, well, those are little one and two people, but think of Barber Foods, which I suspect started back in, uh, in the kitchen of Mr. Barber some years ago. I mean, this is any business starts with two or three people. That's right. So Four Food Lab is a, is a great example of incubators, and we've been um, contacted by other cities and towns that really want to have similar types of incubators in their, uh, in their uh, borders. The other catalyst project that I want to mention, Senator, is the beer lab at uh, University of Southern Maine. They call it the QC Squared Collaboratory, and basically it is um, employing chem- chemistry students to provide quality assurance to our brewers, and it's much cheaper for the brewers to have shared equipment at, um, at USM. Yeah, I was so there too, was but they didn't allow me to test. I, wa- I was volun- <laughs> I volunteered to test, and they said, no, we're going to do it with these beakers. and you know. But, yeah, no, it, it makes total sense because it, it, this way a, a small brewery doesn't have to pay for the specialized equipment to do the testing. That's right. That's right. So overall, in um, less than three years, I think the designation that we got from the Department of Commerce, which your bill and Senator Collins' bill would really help lock in place, helped us bring in uh, over $46 million in um, state, federal, and private funds to boost food manufacturing in the region. Well, I'm a great believer that if you have a pilot that works, you should try to replicate it. So Senator Collins and I have a bill called Made it, Make It in America Manufacturing Communities Act, and essentially it would institutionalize this program, which doesn't involve a lot of federal money, but it's a designation that helps sort of bring together and catalyze the, the resources to, to make this happen all over the country. And we are part of the original cluster of groups, right, 12 different areas. And we're in regular partnerships. We're in conference calls every Monday sharing best practices and what we learned. And there's like an aviation cluster and an IT cluster. There are a couple other food clusters around the country. And it's been enormously valuable for us to be networked with those other national leaders. Now, you you keep using the term cluster and... and, uh, that is a very hot term in economic development. The idea is you you have a core. For example, you have a, a, a brewery, but then around it you build up the support. It, it, it's a perfect example. In Maine, we're now growing hops, uh, which goes into beer. We now have two malt houses, which is, is the sort of basic building block of beer. So we've developed this cluster of industries that around the, the basic industry, and that, that's what you're talking about, isn't it? It is, and, you know, the economic development professional is often called building an ecosystem, you know, so building the beer ecosystem or the food manufacturing ecosystem, and it involves all of what you just said, say, for the beer industry, but it also involves the financial institutions that will lend and the infrastructure that's needed. Like for hops, for example, one of the things that we're missing right now is a hop Hops pelletizer. So that's another kind of catalytic project that we hope will happen in the near future because then we can actually keep our hops that we're growing here and not have to throw them, send them out of state to get them pelletized to then come back to the brewers. Now, we're focusing on beer, wine, uh, beer and food and the food uh, cluster, but th- this concept could apply to any kind of manufacturing uh, development, right? It absolutely could, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just an economic development term. 
And are you finding receptivity to this in Southern Maine? Or is it is it hard to get people fired up about this? Or is it is it you you uh, to the contrary? You send out the notice and they come, right? <laughs> yeah, it's been so exciting. I mean, we um, we're actually we're doing a conference on June twenty second with all of our different partners from the manufacturing community, and um, it's called the Portland Food Launch and Festival. And our goal is to give food manufacturers and entrepreneurs the tools to either start up or, if they've already started up, to scale up in one day. And we're having finance experts volunteer their time, entrepreneurs volunteer their time to talk about how do you label and how do you comply with the law and how do you market and how do you get into Whole Foods if you want to sell your product. So we're really excited about that. And at night, there's going to be a festival at Thompson's Point in Portland that's open to the public to come and sample all of these different wonderful things that we're producing right here. Well, that, that, that sounds nice. And I, and I think one of the things that's so important about this is sharing information. In my experience with economic development, you need, you know, you need help with financing and, and, those, and infrastructure and those kinds of things. But often the missing piece, particularly if it's a very small enterprise, is information. How do I access the market? How do I get financing? How do I uh, build a supply chain? And, and that's it sounds like, is the key to what you're doing. That's right. And um, the Maine Brewers Guild is a really great example that part of the reason we've had so many breweries open is because the beer manufacturers talk to each other all the time and they share that kind of inform- information. So we, at the, with the cluster of, of manufacturing groups that we're working with right here in Greater Portland, we try to help facilitate that kind of information sharing. We try to link people with financial institutions. And the other thing is we try to get infrastructure in place. And there's one other big piece of infrastructure that's pending right now, and that's uh, for a cold storage warehouse in the working waterfront. Have you heard about this, Senator? I have heard about it. And, and what's the status? Well, it's still pending approval, um, and it's what it will basically do is it'll connect our food manufacturers and entrepreneurs with global markets because they'll be able to store their food in a refrigerated space. So this this would be down cargo. near down on the waterfront near the near the uh, right. the terminal. That's right, right next to the port, and it will be part of the working waterfront and. Um, it's going to be important for the region, but it's also a key piece to growing the economy in the state. And so that piece of infrastructure is something that we hope is going to be get, hope to get built soon so that we're able to build the export market for main businesses. And we have this extraordinary opportunity of being a port state right on the, on the ocean, and we have Aimskip, the Icelandic uh, company that is now a shipping company that connects us to not only Iceland, but uh, particularly Northern Europe, which opens up whole new markets for us. Whole new markets, and we're a whole day closer to Northern Europe than um, Southern New England. So we have a real competitive advantage. And, um, and even the brewers, I know I've been t- talking a lot about them, they're just so successful. They now have a beer box that they are going to take our local, uh, you know, a selection of different local uh, beers and take them over to Iceland for their beer festival as a way of starting to open up that international market. That, <laughs> I just love the idea of main, main beer in Iceland. Uh, that's, that's just, it's a, and how about Norway, Sweden, uh, the rest of, uh, of Northern Europe? Uh, yeah, you know, we, uh, Americans, we have such a big, powerful market right here, but we forget that literally 95% of the market is outside of North America. 
That's right. And to the extent <laughs> we, can, we can tap that market, it is just an entirely new opportunity for us. And in some ways, it's back to the future because Maine was a trading state uh, 100 years ago, shipping, you know, the the, uh, the schooners, the, the windjammers were the fiber optics of, uh, of the 1880s. That was the fastest <laughs> way to communicate with Europe. Uh, and I, I love the f- idea that we're we're recapturing that. Yeah, it's very exciting. I think there's a there's a lot of potential to continue to grow manufacturing, and I think you know the overall story in Maine has been that manufacturing is is uh, falling and declining. But there are these bright spots, these growing niche industries that I think can help turn it around for us. Well, in a few minutes, I'm going to be talking to Peggy Daigle up north, who has been a town manager in the in the region in in Millinocket, for example, and and Lincoln, and about the potential. Now, we're, you and I are talking about a successful implementation. I'm going to be talking to Peggy about the other side of the coin, which is okay. How do we get where you are? Uh, in this would be in the forest products area, which of course is their uh, their economic base up there. But this is not something that's limited to food or to southern Maine. This is an idea that can work anywhere. Absolutely, and we've seen it in other places. And I'd love to talk with Peggy about what we've done and what might be useful to her. Well, I'm going uh, to gonna put you in touch with her uh, when I talk to her in a few minutes. But uh, and anything else going on? I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're enjoying this, uh, the, the, the Council of Government's idea, the idea that we can work together regionally. And, and I think uh, give me a last word on regional cooperation and the importance of that. Sure. So we're a regional agency that's composed of 26 cities and towns, and we're working together to build prosperity in greater Portland and the Lakes region. And I, I think that um, there's so many challenges that cities and towns face, and I used to be a counselor up in Freeport, so experienced some of it firsthand, that you just can't solve on your own. So our agency is bringing different groups together to talk about what's a regional response to the opiate crisis. What are the ways that we can build a stronger transportation network? How can we build more housing so we can retain our young people? And how can we build housing and transportation so that our elders are able to stay here and afford a good place to live in their own communities? So uh, we're looking towards creating those kinds of regional solutions. And I've been on the job about nine months, and I've been loving every minute. Great. Christina, thanks so much, and really thanks for the work that you're doing, and uh, we'll check in later. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be able to get this bill through down here. I don't think there's a high cost to it, uh, but it's one of those things that could uh, bring together a lot of energy and activity and really make a difference. Thanks again for what you're doing. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks so much, Senator. Welcome back to Inside Maine. We're talking today about revitalizing manufacturing in Maine and across the country, but particularly in northern Maine, in our forest products economy. And with me is Peggy Daigle. Peggy, uh, I've known for many years. She was the town manager of Millinocket. She's been a town manager in Caribou, Old Town, Holton, Howland, uh, most recently in Lincoln. So she has seen the, unfortunately, the downward a spiral of the manufacturing economy in that region, but has also been involved in recent efforts to bring it back. Peggy, thanks for joining me. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, you were involved last summer in this EDAT process, which was the the effort that uh, Susan uh, Collins and I and, and Bruce Poliquin uh, put together to bring together federal resources to come up to talk about where we are. It resulted in a in a coming together of the industry in the region. 
Um, has that been helpful in sort of focusing our thinking on, on how to take next steps to rebuild the, the forest-based economy? It's been very helpful, especially in the fact that it's provided opportunities, new and emerging opportunities for these paper mill towns to think about in terms of what could actually go in to replace these industries that are now not operating, and how can we as towns shape up those sites and help to get those sites prepared to receive those new industries and new emerging opportunities. So it's it shaped our thinking and it shaped our hope in terms of what the future might hold. Well, the thing that, that one of the things that I noticed, if forgetting about the results, I've never seen the industry more united around the table at the same time. Everybody from the truckers to the loggers to the landowners to the mill owners to the uh, all of the all of the, the sawmills. I, I uh, that in itself, I think, was a positive outgrowth. Uh, just to get them all talking and sharing information. Did you? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'd never seen that before. Well, I hadn't either, and I think that it's been particularly helpful for them to understand how interconnected that their industries are and their business and operations are to the overall health of the, the forest products economy. And I think from a municipal standpoint, it's been helpful for me to sit around and see these and to understand how delicate a balance it is. And uh, so I, I think that overall, I'm, I'm particularly hopeful in terms of what the future might hold. Well, hopeful isn't a word that we've heard up there very frequently recently, and I feel the same way. It's it's a time of transition for sure. I think one of the most important things we can do, and you mentioned this, is find new uses for forest products. In other words, the, for 100 years it's been paper. We certainly want to maintain the paper industry that we have and support places like Woodland and, and Twin Rivers and Rumford and those that are that are plowing forward and doing well, sappy. Uh, but we also need to find other uses for this um, gold mine of fiber that we have. Oh, absolutely. We're going to continue to grow trees, and there should be a continued use for that, whatever that might be, whether it's in the nanotechnology firms or in the bio, bio-based bio uh, firms or in new-type uses for timber, such as cross-laminated timber opportunities for new construction. So um, I, I think that it's uh, been particularly helpful to get away from the paper industry and to wrap around what the new opportunities might be, because paper is certainly uh, in a, a stronghold for all of us. And I live in East Millinocket. The only reason East Millinocket and Millinocket are built is because of the paper industry. And we've been so used to that concept that thinking about what that new um, future might hold and what the new opportunity would be for jobs and younger people moving back into the communities has been challenging, but I think that it's uh, it's got some daylight to it, which is good for us. Boy, I'll say, and, and you're familiar with this Investing in Manufacturing Communities Partnership Program that, that the Greater Portland area took advantage of, and what we're, Susan and I are trying to make that a, an ongoing program so that your region can can get into the act of this uh, sort of community support for manufacturing, uh, and 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 that's uh, I think this is a this is something that could be the next step for you guys. I think it's particularly vital that we have some investments in these manufacturing towns. Um, from when I was in Lincoln, and I realized what the enormity is in terms of the cleanup 
um, I realize it's step one, uh, getting those sites prepared. But then there's the marketing. There's also the um, training of the workforce and actually trying to get people to move back to the area. Um, so I, I applaud any, any attempts to try to improve um, our ability to be able to move forward. Well, it's funny because you just went through the strategy of this uh, community investment program, workforce training, supplier networks, research and innovation, infrastructure, site development, trade and investment, and uh, improvement capital access. That's the, that's the roadmap, and you, you just outlined it. And uh, uh, as, as I say, a lot of people, we, we, some of these mills have been there for so long that there are, there are cleanup efforts that are required just to get them ready uh, for uh, for new opportunities. The university is a key part of this, too. Don't you agree? They are. When I was city manager in Old Town, I realized that our fortune is going to uh, shift based on what's going on, not only at the paper mill site, but also with collaborations with the university. They had so many ideas, and I knew that they needed a home for some of their ideas for the commercialization and the getting it out into the market. And so from my standpoint as a town manager, I've always looked at things from how can I partner with these new emerging opportunities? How can I provide them a home to be able to locate so that they can be in my community? Yeah, and, 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 and the, the, the research is so important. That's where we're going to find the new products. I've been saying, you probably heard me say it, that what we need is a George Washington Carver of wood. Remember when I was a kid, I learned about George Washington Carver who figured out 106 things to do with peanuts. And we need 106 things to do with wood fiber. And some of them we know. You mentioned cross-laminated timber. That's a really exciting opportunity where putting uh, wood together in, in sort of, I call it a wood sandwich, uh, in a way that you align the fibers in different directions is super strong. And across the world now, they're building 8, 10, 12-story buildings out of wood instead of steel and concrete. I know. Who would have thought? Um, when I heard about this, I thought, oh, this sounds a little crazy. But the more you, you hear about it, the more you study it, the more you look into it, you realize it's a real opportunity. It re- reduces that carbon footprint. And it really kind of goes towards trying to live in a better world. And it gives us, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I know there's some people t- talking about this and thinking about this, that we can get one of these cross-laminated timber manufacturing facilities in Maine, which would create jobs here. The wood's here. It's logical. We're close to the East Coast where the wood could be used in these kinds of buildings. Uh, It's one of those things where we have to get the building codes right and we have to get the architects to understand the advantages. The building goes up faster. Uh, Believe it or not, it's as safe as steel in terms of things like fire. Uh, And it's just as strong and, as you say, much more environmentally benign than uh, uh, than uh, steel and, and concrete so uh, this is this is a right. huge opportunity I like the idea of of, uh, of Millinocket being the the Pittsburgh of the next of the next century where we make the building materials uh, well it's the, it's the end of the supply chain in terms of the raw materials and it has rail it has quick access to i-95 it has a lot of good properties in terms of marketing it but we need to educate the, the world that Maine is a, is a contender in the forest products industry and that there's life after the paper industry. And um, we need to um, kind of open our minds to those. 
well, thinking. Well, you, you mentioned the word hope a few minutes ago, and of course we went through this <clears throat> terrible period of, of losing six mills, uh, and the, one of the problems, as you know better than probably anyone, that when you, it's one thing to lose an, a, 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 a group of jobs, a company in the middle of an area with lots of other economic activity, but one of the problems is a lot of these mills we're in an area where there wasn't much else uh, going on. But do you feel glimmers of hope? Do you see some uh, some opportunities on the horizon? Well, we do. Um, and I think the thing that the paper mill is, it casts such a big shadow over all the other things going on within the community. We traveled recently to all the towns that uh, the, when I say we, I mean the EDAC committee. Right. Um, we had folks from Maine Development Foundation and from your office and Senator Collins' office and Poliquin's office, um, to sit down and meet with each one of the towns to talk to them about what we're trying to do and how we're trying to be a resource to them. And I saw firsthand that each community is in a different lo- different place in terms of like Bucksport. All of their storefronts are open. Um, and you look at the mills, and they're all at a different stage of either demolition and re development in terms of uh, reuse on their facilities. So I feel that what we need to do is highlight what we've got going on within our own communities and just say, listen, Bucksport, Old Town, Millinocket, East Millinocket, they have their struggles, but they're not out of the game. And um, I think that we need to kind of encourage people towards that end, that there there are things going on within each community that makes it successful in itself well, beyond I, the paper mill. And I think if there's something we've learned, I mean, certainly we we want to maintain large, successful enterprises. Uh, you know, I think of Sappy and Woodland, for example. Um, but uh, it's dangerous to be, have all your eggs in one big mill uh, in terms right. of the, the economics. Uh, uh, a lot of smaller activities that total the same number, and we can build back some quality jobs in manufacturing. Uh, right. That's that's a more secure future in the long run. Right. Well, in I'll give you an example. In Millinocket, there's a, a foundry. It's called uh, Millinocket Fabrication and Machining. We always called it the foundry. And um, they used to have uh, about 75% of their business was within the local mills. And 25% was outside of the region. And in the past 10 years, it has flipped. It's now 25, it was 25% when the mills were operating and 75% outside of the region. Now it's 100% out, well, maybe 95% outside the region and 5% within. So they've got, but but it's more stable having a, a whole lot of different customers all around. Absolutely. And so it's, it's a stable, uh, work environment. It employs people, they're quality jobs, they're manufacturing jobs, and they're providing, they're building a product. So um, I can't stress enough that the first and foremost uh, point on what we're trying to do is to reinvigorate and reintroduce manufacturing into these sites because manufacturing is the base of all the economic opportunities that are going to move the state forward and move, move the towns forward. And, and we have good people that know how to do these things. Absolutely. There's so much ingenuity in each one of these towns, and there's a lot of community pride in each one of these towns, and people are rallying around that, and I think that those are basis for growing and moving it forward. 
Well, we're trying to get through down here this idea of uh, keeping going the, the, the community manufacturing partnership uh, program that works so well in, in southern Maine. So uh, I, I hesitate to say help is on the way, but uh, we're certainly trying. And as you know, the, the, the EDAP project, the, 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 the bringing together of those several uh, seven federal agencies and the whole industry and communities in Maine, I think the important lesson here is that we can do a lot better when we're coordinating, cooperating, working together than everybody trying to solve their own problem in a, in a, in a, in a very narrow uh, set of circumstances. Absolutely, because uh, there's so many different ways. The other hope, too, with the EDAP process is that it helps to provide almost a roadmap on how you attack these type, this type of a crisis that happens within a community and within an industry, um, and so that we would have a plan of action going forward as well. Well, Peggy, I really appreciate your participation in that process and your leadership because the, it, it wouldn't have worked if, if local people had sort of turned their backs on, on uh, you know, somebody from, from Washington trying to help. But uh, the idea that we've been able to bring people together, they're talking, it's still going. The Maine Development Foundation is, is carrying this forward, and people like you remain engaged as well as representatives of the industry. It's... it's uh, Local leadership is the whole deal, and, and you're part of it. Peggy, thanks very much for taking the time. You're very welcome. And thank you for joining us on Inside Maine. We're talking about manufacturing in Maine coming back, and it's part of our future. You can bet on it. Thanks again. This is Angus King.